and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Yes, and we are back to talk about CineDA 14.8. Um, which is mm. a nice chapter full of conversations that are long overdue, I think. Uh, I mean, this is a heartbreaking chapter. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. There's not just not just conversations, but thoughts that are long overdue uh, yes. for, for Blake here. Um, this is really, there's so much in this chapter of Blake sa- saying things that it feels like we've been yelling at him for, for arcs now. Um, and, and I mean, it feels so different because I think this is, this chapter sort of opens with this idea of Blake saying, oh, the sun's nice. I'm feeling yeah. the warmth of it on what bit of flesh I have left. And <laughs> he he just relaxes. And like that might be the f- this might be the most relaxed we've gotten to be with Blake since the story began. Yeah, it, it feels like for the first time in a long time, he takes a breather, right? Um, they've yeah, just absolutely. tied up Mara. The sun is coming onto uh, the forest. The town is still in its internal night, but Mara has broken the effect here so they get this kind of moment of being back in time and in the world before they have to go back into the cold kind of stopped town yeah yeah exactly um yeah it's a it it's a really interesting tone right the town is shown still in darkness and and blake is thinking about hey um, you know we're gonna have to plunge back into that soon and it gives me this feeling that I, I struggled to put into words and the only way i could put it into words was comparing it to that moment when you're playing a video game right and you get to this like big building or like a huge circular room and it's the kind of room that you're like okay there's something gonna happen as soon as i step over this threshold and you see there's a save point right at the door to this next room and you're like okay Time to take a breather, compose myself, because I know as soon as I take this next step, things are about to go to shit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really like that. Um, I, I was sort of using the analogy as I went through it of um, Blake's been swimming underwater and this is him coming up for a breath and taking, you know, those big gulps of air in before he dives back down. Uh, because like, maybe I'm wrong, but I the impression I got from this relaxing break, this chapter, was really this sense of mm. Walbo's letting... Blake and all of us come up, get a bit of air, yeah. reestablish some stuff, and I feel like we're about to swan dive into like the the finale. You know, we've got two and a bit arcs left of this book, and I feel like what we're doing here is just sort of coming up, taking a breath, and after this, we're diving back into that darkness of Jacob's Bell, and I don't think we're going to come back up and until like the epilogue or whatever at best. Mm. Um, I feel like this is just. The, the calm before the final biggest storm. Yeah, it has that that vibe for sure. Um, so I, I guess along that thread, people seem to, or Blake seems to be kind of getting his, I guess, affairs in order is the way I would say <laughs> it. Um, yep. Rose approaches Blake and they have this conversation that is the majority of this chapter and honestly is very overdue (laughs) yeah i mean this is absolutely the the meaty part of the chapter um and and so that's what we're going to be talking about for for most of this like this is so not only is it literally most of the chapter it's it's such an important and as you said overdue conversation yeah um and it's not just that but it's actually like at least for the first half at least they're quite they're pleasant. They're pleasant with each other. And there's even a few jokes thrown in there. They're like, it's like the closest we've gotten to the good old days since, what, arc three? Uh, yeah, at best. 
um, it, they haven't had this positive an interaction in a very long time. And I mean, that's the like right, right. As soon as it starts, the way they both approach this feels so monumental. Yeah. Um, the the bit where Rose starts to like stick Blake's wing on, it was just this this moment of them both tr- trusting the other, and and that felt so important. And from there, we move into this conversation that it is so. O- open and honest and and you can see how much they're both having yeah. to, to push past the instincts that they have to to not do that and how much they're they're actually kind of having to force themselves to be <laughs> yeah. open and honest and it's yeah. like somehow that makes it more weight like there's we've entered this bizarro world where someone having to try very hard to be open and honest actually kind of makes it more genuine rather than yeah. me feeling like they're they're bullshitting it yeah um, I, yeah, you're right. And I think it's because we know the weight of, of their, like, animosity towards each other, right? Um, the conversation opens with Rose coming over and, and Blake sees her as, like, Rose in her old-fashioned clothes holding a rifle over her shoulder, which I think you pointed out in the live read is, like, a very conquesty description. And I think that's intentional. Yeah, well, the, I, the, I feel the, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, the rifle definitely feels like conquest imagery. I'm sure it, the word rifle was used to describe the gun he always carried around. Yes, and I think the book has primed us for, oh, it's Blake and Rose, you know, we're about to get into it again, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but no, she comes over and, and she's vulnerable. They're both being vulnerable with each other. But Rose starts off this conversation by saying, mm. you know, being around you is scary. <laughs> like, being around you scares me. And from then it just continues in that vein of them actually just laying out their vulnerabilities with each other. Yeah, you're right, and because that's such an unconquesty thing to say, like yes. being around you is terrifying. Yes. Uh, and, and then you, you're right, Blake immediately sort of matches it by kind of opening up about this, this, all this stuff with him not really feeling fear, which is a, you know, I mean, Rose kind of talks about how awesome it can be, but like, I, I think really this is a bit of a vulnerability. He's yeah. he's opening up, like it's, um, you're right, kind of right, right from the get-go, you can just see them both, I mean, they're just both trying. Yeah. It, this this um, conversation and- is so simultaneously heartwarming and heartbreaking like it's it's so weird how much <laughs> yes. i was reading this conversation and i was simultaneously both like this is beautiful and and this is tragic uh, yeah just the whole time yeah um rose mentions that one of the reasons that she's having this conversation with blake is because alistair said something to her that was basically like oh so you and blake's relationship i hope that's not what our marriage is going to be like which is a pretty good joke so good work alistair <laughs> but it obviously impacted rose and made her be like well shit like I, I need to try and put in some effort there to prove that I can have a civil relationship with this person. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I mean, go Alistair. I feel like I, I keep saying that and it makes yeah. me, like, I hate myself a bit more every time I say it, but this seems like a really clever play by Alistair. He seems to, um, you know, fr- from when, I think it was the start of this arc when they were together and we all split up uh, and, and Alistair set up this whole thing of them coordinating and sharing the teams. He He does seem to have been the person who's most consistently sort of just tried to get them to work together. And this feels yep. like a bit of a, a, a sneaky masterstroke play to have kept them doing that. So yeah, like, definitely. I, I hate that everything Alistair does kind of makes me think that he's a, a better and better person. I'm just waiting for the other <laughs> shoe to drop. Um, we'll see. Uh, I, I like Alistair. I don't know. He can do no wrong in my eyes. Um, <laughs> or his. Or his. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, the conversation eventually turns around to, to Blake basically admitting like that he can't see a future for himself. He sees no way of coming out of this scenario and just having a life afterwards. Yeah. And this is where things tip a bit more into just the heartbreaking side. Uh, 
yeah, like this is this is what we were talking about before. This is where Blake really starts to just start verbalizing stuff. We haven't even seen him properly think about for arcs. Like it, it's yeah. like finally all of the all of the yelling that the audience has been doing at him is finally breaking through. No, yeah, I love that because it feels like the Blake is kind of. Yes, he's saying the things that we've been thinking, right? He's saying the... Like, for me, I'm thinking, okay, however this story ends, Blake is now, you know, one twentieth made of flesh. The rest is wood and birds and (laughs) a sweatshirt, and that's all that's holding him together. Like, (laughs) I don't know how there's a path to get from that to having a life, having some semblance of a life, right? Yeah, we haven't... We haven't yet seen any evidence that he can grow black, grow back flesh bits. Yeah, like we've only seen the abyss replace and take. We've never seen it have to give. Um, and, and, and like I think at one point he points out, basically all he has left is a sliver of flesh and his eyes. And I'd actually question the eyes part of that yeah. based on what we've seen and like what happened yeah. in, uh, with her. So. Yeah, you're right. Like even a twentieth feels like it's overblown. There's there's a shred. There's like fifty grams of uh, you know black you know average to maybe what seventy kilos, eighty <laughs> kilos. Like you know there's, there's there's a very very tiny amount of him left. And even if we find some way for him to get back bits of it, I'm I like I can't believe that it would be a significant amount anytime quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Blake kind of divulges this to Rose, and, and Evan obviously doesn't take it well. Uh, he still in his head has this vision of, well, Blake, you can fly now, so we'll just fly around and fight monsters together, which is a simplistic view, and, and kind of, it can't work, because Blake is a human, he can't just not have a life, right? Um, and, and so he kind of, Evan starts to freak out a, a bit at, at this, and, and it's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh... Doesn't your doesn't your heart just snap in half reading Evans' yep. sort of um, you know roaring response to this? It's yep. um, it's, yeah, it's tough. And then like because especially like it made me think right back to the promise that Evan yeah. made when they became familiars. Like Evans' whole thing is how he he can't let things go, and so Blake's original promise that he made him make was that he he would do that if Blake passed away. Yeah, and and all I'm thinking watching this is like oh, fuck, we found a way to make that promise extra difficult for Evan to, to keep, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, as much as I say I can't see a future for Blake, I also, it, I find it hard to see a path where Evan just is like, yep, all right, now I'm going to pass off into the afterlife, and that's that, right? Like, it's so, mm. it seems to run so counter to his character of always wanting to help, to a, to a fault, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. So, yeah, Blake and Rose kind of continue to... Uh, evaluate their relationship based on this i guess um yeah and again just talking about this this whole conversation in in sort of general terms like what really what really hurts about this this whole conversation between blake and rose is how on the same page they are yeah they don't want to fight both of them are constantly fighting the instinct to fight um there's a bit later where blake kind of explicitly pushes down these intrusive anti-rose thoughts and and you know, we often get so caught up in watching them get caught up in fighting each other um, that it's so easy to forget. Moments like this are so important to remind us that neither of them wants this. Like, they both hate this. Um, it's just when the shit hits the fan, it's hard to work past this this natural instinct to fight each other. And so yeah. getting to see them in this calm moment, just sort of both go to each other and say, hey, 
this is so fucked like what can we do yeah um it just it just hurts yeah it, it is painful right and this is the core problem is there's no way to resolve this without one party losing yeah. out um and so we'll get to that in a second uh, yeah but before then there's this moment where blake raises his voice in passion not in anger um talking about how yes he does want to have a life at the end of this but he just he doesn't see how that's possible and he raises his voice and in response everybody uh, all the knights who are possibly the the kindest and like coolest people that we've seen as well as rose they all go for their guns they all reach for or point guns at blake and it it's pretty apparent everybody feels they have to be really on edge around blake and i think that's a justified (laughs) thought based on you know how he's acted but again it's just kind of tragic right yeah i mean at least blake's noticing it now like yeah we we felt that people have been responding to him like this for a while now and at least in this calm period he's he's you know aware enough to see it and and i think it is the fact that he sees it that plays into what happens next like he he must be seeing people and thinking i don't i don't want to be this entity that Anytime I, I even, like, get excited or passionate about something, it, it puts everybody on edge because I could just murder them. Like, I could just be a murderer and it would be so easy to flip that switch. I, I, I think he has to look at that and think, I don't want to be that. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of says that at one point, doesn't he? He says he, yeah. he doesn't like what he'll have to be to win this fight. And... Yeah. Yeah, um... I mean, yeah, I, like, I, I agree. I think maybe him noticing that he doesn't explicitly connect it, but we talked a lot. Last chapter, there were so many points where he just brought up, like, oh, the Knights are back. I love the Knights. They're so great. So I, I agree. There's probably, it was probably important that all of them just instantly kind of pointed their guns at him. Like, that must yeah. have been something that he processed at least subconsciously. Yeah. Um. So Blake kind of works up the courage to, to say it. Uh, he says, I forfeit, Rose, it, when this is over. If it needs to happen like this, you can have the soul. You can be the one that survives and I'll, you know, die. I'll let you put me down with the hyena, he says. Oh, this chapter. Yeah. Like, uh, how many times can you say the word tragic before it loses all meaning? Yeah. I want to read out the specific terms that he kind of outlines because I think it's important. He, he says, if I mm. try to win this tiny war of ours over Russell Thorburn's life or Ross's life or whatever his name was, and you or your husband haven't crossed some line, assume I'm too far gone. So oh. there's probably a bit of quibbling you can do in there about who defines what crossing a line means, but let's put that aside for now. And I do like the terms of this little deal, right? It leaves space for some other way for them to both get out of this with a happy ending, which maybe is just wishful thinking. But if Blake starts to act, if he makes moves against Rose, that's indication enough that he's far gone um, and that, that whatever's left isn't Blake. And so they should feel no qualms about putting it down. Yeah. And so something we haven't mentioned till now is obviously there's a lot of ways that this feels like a better version or or even a continuation of the chat that um blake rose and alistair had in 13.1 i think it was where Mm. uh the time night thing had blake at knife point um yes like you know in that chapter rose was sort of like i don't know if i could trust you not to come after me at some point you your head might get twisted around yeah and and this is Blake now, like without the knife to his throat, when he's actually like voluntarily having this conversation, sort of saying, "I agree that might happen, and if that does, that's not me anymore. Yeah, like, kill it. 
and yeah i i mean i i don't know i i feel like i'm just starting to repeat myself here but like it's just the way this chapter sort of tugs at your heart yeah um yeah <laughs> yeah no it gets it gets to me too right um and so that kind of resolves the conflict at least to an extent um blake and rose can now more or less be on the same side again without having to constantly worry about backstabberies um and so they turn to mara uh to get some info out of her yeah and so just just before we we go on to that and we leave this conversation behind um the it feels to me like this this conversation is setting up that these two are going to end up against each other at the end of the book. Like it's such a such a uh, morose take on on this very heart warming slash heartbreaking conversation. But I almost feel like this is setting up the uh, a situation where when they're against each other in an arc or two, it's going to feel even more tragic, and we'll be reminded of this brief moment where when the cards weren't stacked against them and mm. the pressure wasn't pushing on them there was a way for them to get along and and like we're just setting up how tragic that's going to feel when they're at each other's throats um you know in in 20 chapters or whatever yeah i could see that i i kind of feel that if blake is still our point of view at that time i i don't know if there's a way to handle that without like it blake is saying pretty explicitly here if that happens, that's not me, right? Yeah. And so I f- almost feel if that does happen, we kind of can't have Blake be our point of view for that. It would have to be some kind of, like, interlude or, or something. Uh, yeah, maybe. Or I could even see it getting to the point where our point of view is still the thing that is in Blake's body that even Blake says we should not call Blake. Like, you know, yeah. if, if he if he crosses that threshold, we could be watching the final battle Jake. maybe... Wait, yeah, I will be rooting for Rose. Yeah, interesting. But seeing it from the perspective of um the the Blake thing that would be tragic. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to read out this quote that I think is really uh, just a really great moment in the chapter where Rose says, I know I'm already asking for and taking so much, but can we please not call him Russell? I really can't picture us as a Russell, which is a great <laughs> joke. Uh, um. And I love it because not only does it diffuse the tension that has kind of obviously built up over this conversation, but it actually shows us this glimmer of hope that, okay, this conflict has been resolved and now Blake and Rose, who are very similar and obviously think along the same lines, can go back to having chemistry and being a good team, which we know they can be. Yeah, like this glimpse of of a good rapport and and some banter, like it just it really rounds out the bittersweet nature of this whole conversation so perfectly. Um, the like this is sort of a something that friends would do. It's such an awesomely yeah. positive interaction. And again, I I was having I had this feeling the whole time reading this that it was like we're setting up that this is the last good moment they're gonna have. So it's just. It was tearing me up. Like th- this was such a powerful way to end this good conversation that feels like it might be the last these two get to have. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Um, then there's this other moment to uh, kill some of that positivity, I guess, where Blake immediately realizes that uh, Green Eyes is really going to not react well to the news <laughs> that he's going to give up. Um, I felt so bad I hadn't thought of that. Like, yeah. I was like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so he resolves not to tell her or tells Evan not to tell her, which uh, like 
Uh, it's a bad plan. Of course it's a bad plan, because when she does find out... Like, imagine if it comes to not Blake fighting against Rose, and everyone's like, oh, no, that's not Blake. And Evan's like, no, no, that's not Blake. Let's kill him. And Green Eyes is like, fuck you all. I'm going to eat you. <laughs> like, because that's yeah. definitely what would happen. Um, but then, of course, if they do tell her, she might just <laughs> think, well, I just kill Rose, and then that'll solve the problem. Like, there's no w- way to yeah. win this situation. Like, like- in general, in stories, keeping secrets like this is is almost a guaranteed recipe for like adding unnecessary drama. But here is one of the few situations where I was kind of like, no, but they're right. Telling her would probably be just as bad. Like, yeah. the The point is, I think, yeah, she should probably she's probably going to find out at some point, and she's going to flip her lid. But I think her flipping her lid is irregardless of how she finds out like she's probably i I, you're right she's gonna try and kill rose uh if she finds out the details regarding blake and rose's um power relationship yeah um i i mean at best not telling her will point some of that anger at blake instead of rose which is yeah maybe uh, like not the worst thing (laughs) i guess that's an okay idea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that's the situation we're in where it's better if we manipulate things so that she's angry at Blake. Yeah. Um so so Blake turns to Mara now and they start to talk. And interestingly, Rose and Co kind of give Blake the space to I don't know, revel in his win a bit, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um Blake promises to Mara that by the end of this I was going to say by the end of this night, but that's a bit of a vague term for this for this arc. <laughs> um, by the end of this conversation, Mara is going to have lost all of her power. Yes, and I love how definitive Blake is with all this right from the get-go. Like, he, he just walks straight up and is making declarative statements. He's like, you will do this. This will happen by the end of this conversation. Yeah. And um, it, it's like after such a a touching and heartbreaking and bittersweet conversation with Rose. This feels like we're just immediately diving back into business. Like Blake just, just switches straight into businessman mode. Um, there's, there's no messing around here. It's, um, the shit's serious again. Yeah. I think something that we haven't touched on in the past arcs, um, is Blake as an other, it really is one of those kinds of others that is exceptionally well suited at taking down practitioners, right? Yeah, like that yeah. seems to be his specialty, and so <laughs> this is basically him in his element. He's you know uh, declawing Mara, right? And he's he's yeah. really he's just he's just good at it. He just knows exactly <laughs> what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, very quickly he basically gets Mara to the point where she it's effectively she's begging for her life. Yeah, like she's, it's she's Mara's offering... version of that. Yeah, and like. It's such a stark difference to everything we've seen from her. Like she, she's offering him anything she thinks he might want. Um, I mean, this whole thing is just kind of brutal. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of disgusted with myself for how much I enjoyed it. Like it's more well, cool. Um, if anyone has deserved it in this story, <laughs> genuinely, it's Mara, who is, I think, the most horrifying practitioner in Jacob's Bell. Right. Yeah, and I mean that is what Tiffany. Like, like I think the story kind of tries to make you feel more okay with it by putting Tiffany on that side as well. Like, I think if even Tiffany's the one calling for no mercy, you're sort of like, okay, well, so we're going for no mercy then. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, just this, this idea of not just killing her, but forcing her to like undo herself, like undo her pattern and, and release her own power. Um, it's, it's like they're punishing her by making her more human again. So she'll have to live through this last cycle 
with the consequences of her actions. It's so harsh and and fair. It's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it's a really powerful and like neat way to to depower her. You know, mm, and it's mm. very like it's very like logically consistent. It's very much just like oh yeah, of course they could just do that, force her to make oaths and break them, and that would be like that would fuck up her power. Like it's perfect. Yeah, but I think I think again, what's so great about it is it's like you said, Blake just has this special knack for figuring out practitioners and knowing how to take them down. Because what he realizes here is he can basically offer her a, a terrible choice that she's going to hate more than death and death. But because of her pattern, he knows she's going to have to pick the not death option. Yeah, like that's such a like. It, it took me like probably about halfway through the conversation to grok why that was working. Uh, even after he sort of said it because it's just such a galaxy yeah. brain play i was just like oh that's beautiful <laughs> yeah regardless of what the cost is she'll always choose it over death right yeah because she kind of she kind of has to yeah um so yeah mara is trying to bargain she's she's basically at her version of desperation and kind of half as a bargaining play half out of spite she reveals who's behind all of this uh johannes and he is on his way to hillsglade house it looks like we're uh, in the end game Mm. I mean, I do love the little bit where she's like, sometimes the obvious answer is the right answer. It was Johannes. And, and uh, like, as I read that, I was just kind of like, wait, why did we write Johannes off again? Mm. Like, um, I-, I thought it was because Alistair said it wasn't him. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, so we kind of assumed it wasn't Johannes. A-, a few times it seemed like Alistair and various others were implying that it wasn't Johannes, but it never was actually confirmed to not like alistair never said no it's not johannes someone else is behind it you know yeah not okay. that i could pull out at least i had a kind of cursory look through 13x and 14.1 and some other surrounding chapters there definitely must have been some hints i i do remember feeling like there was a hint that was sort of like it's not johannes and i was like oh okay um but yeah like it, it's it's a fun little sort of not not reveal or yeah it is a reveal but it's just kind of like you know uh, he's managed to distract you all in a way and gotten everyone away from the house and now you got to get back there real quick like i assume blake is going to have to fly ahead of the group uh in order to get there in time because mara says like stuff's going to get in their way and they won't be able Mm -hmm. to make it um so you know we we talked right at the start of the chapter about how blake mentions that he feels like he's going to have to dive back into the darkness of jacob's bell very soon and it's like oh boy are we are we doing that? Like, he's going to have to literally fly <laughs> as fast as he can straight back in there and, and not just into Jacob's Bell, but back to that shithole of a house that he's almost burned down. Yeah, the burned, flooded house. <laughs> um, we'll, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I guess we'll we'll see how it goes next chapter because that's the end of 14.8 and that's almost the end of our chapter, on of our episode on 14.8. But before we go, it's that time of the chapter where we dive back into what people were saying about this chapter when it first came out five years ago today um so elliot do you have a comment from a user five years ago that you'd like to pull out i do actually uh, i have a comment uh a bit of a shorty from sir fuente who you know we talked a bit about uh green eyes you know obviously you know she's she's very close to blake and she's going to freak out if she learns that he's ready to die or willing to die yeah uh, and and that rose is someone who's kind of destined to do it um but sir fuente also just sort of pointed out like Blake is almost Green Eyes' only connection to the world. Like Evan is maybe the other one. Like there's, it's not just her personal feelings that are gonna make her go psycho, but like she will have she sh- she should have a genuine concern. Like so, for Wednesday points out, if Blake goes, that's her biggest connection. She might just fall back into the abyss. Uh if Blake is no longer in the picture. Mm. 
Um, and, and I mean, obviously, like again, I think this is why I love Pact because it's it's both. Like those two things are not separate in this story. Yeah. Uh, uh, but like that just wasn't really something I'd considered. This idea that Green Eyes doesn't have to worry just because of her feelings for Blake, but because without him, she may have to go back to the abyss, and that's pretty much the one no-no on her whole list of things. Yeah, although, you know, I feel like if she if she doesn't freak out about the whole Blake and Rose thing, she could probably maintain her connections with, like, Rose and Evan and, and all those guys so that they would still be her friends without Blake, but I think it's more likely that she finds out about the Blake thing, she attacks Rose, and then without Blake, her, she's got no connections left. Yeah, see, I don't know, apart from Evan, I don't know if any of those connections are solid enough to really be useful to her. I mean, she's met these people, but... Maybe um, the faceless woman? Yeah. Look, I don't like, know. Like, that'd be, that'd be one of her top ones, and I'd hardly call that, like, best yeah. friends for life material. Yeah, um, true. Evan feels like the strongest, and, um... Yeah. I mean, if Blake disappears, Evan's gonna have plenty of his own problems to deal with. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Um... I pulled out a comment by a user called Gan Trades Dracos, uh, and this comment was in a thread that was talking about uh, people talking about like honesty versus uh, saying the literal truth, like whether you're being honest or not, and and what the spirits care about there. And Gan Trades Dracos kind of talks about how the karma system is pretty specific about how some things are okay and some things aren't and it's very it at times can seem kind of arbitrary because of this system where the spirits are these like judges but they're also very stupid <laughs> and so yeah. you can kind of trick them <laughs> very easily um and because of this that it's a weird system and and Gantradis Dracos basically says that they suspect there is somebody who intentionally set the system up this way because that explains why it's got these weird overlaps um which I like I don't know if I'm fully on board with it but I like it as a theory that I think the the question that it raises though is who set the system up this way and what what are they what is that in service of um which of course who could possibly know that but I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, like, I guess the, the, the interesting idea for that for me is, is I guess if we're thinking like that, we're probably talking about whoever made the spirits, which mm. feels like, I, I think very early on in the book, there was reference to like creation spirits or something who were going yeah. around creating the universe. And that's why it's expanding impact, um, which was just like a cool little image that stuck with me. I don't know how correct it was meant to be as an idea. Um, so, like, I guess it could be something like that. But, like, I remember I think I talked a while ago about this idea that, like, demons or something or other might have sabotaged, like, Suleiman bin Daud's yeah. a- a- attempt to create this system. Like, the the whole idea of the truth telling may have been set up to allow these loopholes and to create such a shithole society. And that's kind of maybe where I'd, I'd more see it is someone yeah. with knowledge of how spirits work manipulating the the way the awakening ritual was set up and the seal of solomon was set up so that it left you know it abused the the nature of the spirits to create these loopholes that would allow such shit systems and i i don't know if i actually believe this theory but like that that to me seems like the most plausible way that something like this could have happened yeah i like that i like that that's a pretty good explanation i think and it still leaves some nice interesting world building space for some machiavellian judas (laughs) that is behind the scenes yeah but like i guess i don't know i've actually always kind of bought the 
um, arbitrary silliness of the spirits uh, sort of stuff. Like the, the idea that they are these kind of dumb animals. They like, like yeah. the general trend seems to be, you know, they like things to be kept simple and like they're, they're quite literal. And, and I guess I just, that kind of makes sense to me for a kind of dumb spirit. Like, I, I don't know. I can, yeah. I, I've just always kind of been able to buy that. I think the biggest thing that I struggle to reconcile with it is the idea that like the spirits can, tell if somebody's telling the truth or not as an example but not uh like if you leave somebody with a noose around their neck on a block of ice and wait and then walk away well that's not your fault that's somebody else's fault right like yeah there's some of these things that just feel like they're a little bit too stupid for some of their powers and and like i think it does make sense in the world that we've set up but I also think I, I there's space for there to be more explanation there, I think. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I, I've always wondered how much of this stuff comes down to the spirits of a person, an inner person, and the, the, the environmental spirits. So something like the, the person with the noose hanging around their neck, how much is that decided by just the spirits of the room that this happens in versus when you tell a lie or something, how much is that the spirits that are inside of you and, and represent you? Yeah. Um, I, I guess telling a lie isn't necessarily that terrible. It's being called out on a lie. That's the real danger. Yeah. That is something that I feel has kind of evolved a bit in the series. Like there was a, at the start of the story, there was more of a sense of when Blake said something sarcastic, he took a power hit and, and now the focus has more been on, um like oaths yeah one specifically when someone else calls you out on lying that's when you really cop the the damage from from lying yeah i mean i guess after he had awakened blake was weak enough that even a small power hit was probably you know enough to be significant yeah yeah um but like i don't know i think there's like just our understanding of spirits is vague enough that i can see how all of this weird negotiating stuff could maybe take place with or there'd be more weight with various spirits depending on what the potential crime or whatever is. Yeah, fair enough. Like I, I, we were talking in the Discord the other day. I was saying like at the, sometimes I feel like the big problem with the spirits is they feel like you know those chatbots from the '90s or early 2000s where they have no concept of context, so they just take every sentence as its own thing. <laughs> and that's why like, the, the reason people can sneak so much pa- stuff past like this system is because they can say something that in their head is true because it's a complete non sequitur to what yep. was being discussed. Um, yep. And so, like, what what we need to do is update the spirits with a kind of context awareness so that people can't just say random facts that are accurate but clearly not relevant to the conversation. Yeah, but, the you know, as as kind of text generation technologies have evolved in recent times, the real... The real trick with making coherent text is context, right? Context is actually quite a complicated mm. thing to understand. So, you know, it's not, I, yeah, I, and that's probably why they don't. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past the spirits. I'm, I'm. It's pretty. It, context is an advanced thing to understand. So I kind of get it. Mm. What was interesting is um, Mara talked a lot about how she sort of thought the others had changed when humanity reached North America. Yeah. And if you apply that sort of thinking to the spirits, like I wonder if spirits are getting smarter in general, like with humans around, like if, you know, if they're also something that's affected by the landscape. I mean, they are something that's affected by the landscape. We've talked a lot about like metal and, uh, and you know, how the, the spirits do adapt to humanity. So I wonder if 
like you know if if as humanity becomes more populous or gets smarter like if that affects the spirits at all yeah i think that must happen right like at the very least Mm. as methods of communication change like i i know that writing something down in a book is definitely kind of policed by the spirits right if you write it lie down in a book you you can definitely be called on it and but i think you know when the the concept of writing was first invented that probably wouldn't have been true but just because spirits hadn't adapted to it and there hadn't been kind of cultural significance placed in it right like i yeah. imagine now sending a fucking emoji to a friend even if that emoji <laughs> is a lie <laughs> you know they say oh where are you at and you send a you know a picture of a, a pool instead of a home or whatever i don't think the spirits would take a hit on or would make you take a hit on that because that's I don't know, there's no cultural context placed by humans and significance placed by humans into that. I mean, what's funny about emoji is they're they're such an interpretive and and kind of inherently ambiguous in a lot of situations. Mm. Like, it's there because they're they're so up to the interpretation of who's receiving them. Like, I think the spirits would hate that shit. I could very much see the spirits punishing people who overuse emojis just because it makes it harder for them. Like, Alistair's whole thing is how he makes it easy for them. And I feel like someone who spams emoji would be the opposite. And so, you know, the spirits are anti-emoji is my hot theory. Yeah, there's uh, there's too much space for interpretation, right? They're like a... Emoji are basically the alethiometer where you have to... You have to really understand them to to understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm um anyway that's the end of our show i guess um thanks for tuning in uh if you like this show uh please leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify i've been getting into spotify lately so uh do that Mm -hmm. um yep and you know there's no discussion question or anything going on and in fact by the time this is aired we have recorded the episode where we're talking about the q a answers so um you know just head into the reddit thread that's in the show notes below and just talk about the chapter or whatever else you want and we'll, we'll jump in with you but there's no discussion question or q a stuff to to do this, yeah, t- this chapter. take a christmas break no homework from us this time <laughs> yeah um, just like blake did this chapter we're giving all of you a rest as well <laughs> little day in the sunshine um what you could still do though is leave us your thoughts and ideas for what you might like to see for from all packed up our 24-hour live stream that we're doing on the 7th of march um, if you have ideas for that, leave it in the discussion thread. Why not? Yes. Or tweet uh, it at it, us, at our Twitter, fact, which is at MediaMT Podcast. Yeah. And in fact, soon I think we will start publishing some of the schedule and, and yeah. other details related to that um, as we sort of start locking things in more finally. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you like this show and you want to check out some other great shows on the Doof Media Network, then head on over to doofmedia.com. There's all kinds of great shows on there. My personal favorite is still mm, What You Say, as it always will be. Um, but there's all kinds of cool shows on there. Although I think it's a bit of a light week because it is obviously Christmas. Um, so yeah. Merry Christmas, I guess. What This comes out, what is it today? The 24th? Uh, the 23rd. 23rd. Christmas Eve Eve, we call it. Um, so we mm-hmm. won't see you for a while, but Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think mm, What You Say is still coming out t- tomorrow. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if you like the shows on the Doof Media Network, why not support us on Patreon? You can go to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media and give some money and you get some cool, 
uh, cool perks. For yeah, example, for, for the one dollar tier, you yep. get access to our Discord and you get to vote and everything. Uh, do the right things. Having a great comp right now. Uh, people submitting stories and our patrons will be the one who uh, the patrons will be the ones who vote on which is best. Yep. which is really cool. Um, the five dollar tier, you get access to the Doof and Chills, one of which happened like two days ago, and you can watch the the recording of that. Uh, if you join now, yep. uh, it was a I mean, we haven't done it yet because we're recording early, but it's going to be like a, a spoilers, like a trivia thing, right? Yeah, it's going to be well, it's trivia. Not spoilers because by the time this comes out, True. It, it'll be in in the past. Um, so it, it's always spoilers for us. It's spoilers. No, it's not. You're right. No. So this Doof and Chill <laughs> is a trivia thing, and I built this like proper good recording studio in Minecraft with like buzzers and sound effects and lights and shit. And we're it's gonna, way too good. It's, it's so it's good. It's so good. I'm so happy with it. <laughs> so that's where this Doof and Chill is hosted. It's going to be hosted in this virtual block-based world. Um, also, if you if you support the show, uh, the, the, the network, for $10 a month or more, you get access to our monthly bonus content. Um, and this month for Christmas, we've done an extra, extra bonus content where we did 12 days of... Uh, Christmas themed articles, I guess, by a bunch of different hosts from across a bunch of different Dwarf Media shows. Uh, so if you want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com and pay $10 and you get access to at least 10 articles with two more on the way. Yeah. And in fact, like, I'm, uh, you know, obviously by the time this airs, a lot more of them will come out. But the, the one that just came out as we're recording this was uh, Daniel's one on the Star, Christmas, oh, yeah. the Star Wars holiday special, which like, was frustratingly good like i'm so embarrassed reading my articles <laughs> next to next to that one it's it's beautiful mm. yeah yeah it's a good one um and since it's christmas why not throw some money to wabo because after all he makes the stories that we have been talking about for many hours of our life mm-hmm. um you can support him at patreon.com wabo with a recurring donation also i think on that page you can find a link to do a one-time donation if you'd like to do that instead Yes, I think those go through PayPal. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and apart from that, we'll see everyone uh, on Friday, the 27th of December. So, everyone have a happy Christmas, and we'll be back for Cine Day 14.9 then. Yep. Have a wonderful holiday time, and we'll see you soon. Bye.